welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, featuring your host, Angela Harders. We're committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. Together, we believe that the world is our biggest and best classroom, and the people and places in it are our greatest teachers. So I invite you to join me on the adventure of a lifetime, beginning with a conversation that can change the world. Today's episode of the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast is brought to you by the book, Tales of a Toxic Teacher, Exposing the Cycles of Abuse Within Our Schools, written by Angela Harders. In this book, Angela shares some of the shocking experiences that happen behind the closed doors of a public school classroom and exposes some of the many abuses that take place in school intentionally and unintentionally, and no one escapes unscathed. Tales of a Toxic Teacher is available for purchase on Amazon.com. The ebook and audiobook versions are also available for free to members of the Peaceful World Schooling community. If you are interested in becoming a member, just check out the membership link in the description below. Thank you so very much for supporting Angela and for helping to make the Peaceful World Schooling podcast freely available to all. Hello, and welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, where we are committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. My name is Angela Harders, and I'm a special education teacher, the author of Gospel-Based Parenting and the Crunchy Kids series, and a proud world schooling mother to two amazing children, Sophia, who's seven, and Benjamin, who's three. Today on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, I am so excited to share with you the guest that we have today, her name is Iris Chen. She is an amazing woman, an amazing mother, um, and I'm so excited that you are going to be joining us today as we have a conversation that can change the world. So to get us started, um, Iris, can you share a little bit about you, your family, and your story? Sure, thank you for having me. Um, So yeah, I wrote a book called Untigering, Peaceful Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent. And I actually started it as a blog um, about four, four or five years ago, just documenting my own journey of shifting away from authoritarian parenting to embrace peaceful parenting. And, you know, maybe many of your listeners are more naturally peaceful parents, but I did not grow up that way. And I did not start out that way as a parent. I started out very much as a tiger parent, a very strict authoritarian parent. And so, yeah, it was really about my journey of seeing all the harm that I was doing to my kids and all the unhealed wounds that I had myself. Um, And coming to a place of uh, greater healing so that I could parent my children differently. So uh, my kids now are 
um, 11 and 13. So we're in the teen tween age. And I'm just so thankful that I discovered peaceful parenting and um, embraced it early enough so that, um, yeah, I could heal some of the, the relationship with my kids and have a great relationship with them now. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, and I know you said um, you kind of didn't come from a gentle parenting background. I didn't either. Um, and actually, I think most of the people that I, I speak with that are gentle parents, most of them actually haven't, especially in the United States. It's just not really a common thing here, I guess. Most of us have experienced some level of authoritarian parenting or spanking or things like that in our history. And so I'm wondering, how did you find your way into gentle parenting since this wasn't the way that you were raised? How did you stumble into the world of gentle parenting? Mm, I think I was sort of forced into it. It wasn't like I grew up thinking like, oh, I'm never going to do this to my kids. I grew up thinking like I didn't really appreciate it. I did not like getting spanked and I resented it, but it was effective and I can see how valuable it was. And so I continued those patterns in my parenting with my kids. And I didn't really question it until I saw that it wasn't working. It wasn't producing the results that I wanted. So it wasn't even a crisis of conscience or anything like that. It was just that my kids, my oldest in particular, was a more sensitive personality. And I was um, just trying to manage his behavior with punishments and rules and harshness. And the more I did that, the less he responded. And the more, the more outbursts there were, the more tantrums, meltdowns, all of that. And so I was really getting to a place where I was desperate for something different um, because the path that I was on was leading to destruction. I felt I was not enjoying parenting. I was not enjoying him. I was constantly frustrated. And yeah, so it was at um, like a parenting workshop actually where I was sort of exposed to neurobiology and brain development and just understanding that when we um, just approach our children with this harsh, punitive, angry demeanor that their brains and their bodies get activated and they actually are unable to calm down and unable to reason unable to, yeah, to just do the things that we want them to do, think rationally and all those things. And so I realized that um, what I was doing was contributing to the problem, was causing the problem, Mm -hmm. and that I was the one who needed a change. And so I think that really opened my eyes to um, seeing my children with more compassion instead of seeing them with judgment, you know, like you're being disobedient, you're being naughty, you're being rebellious, labeling them in those ways, actually having a lot more compassion and seeing all their behavior as an attempt to get needs met, Mm. as, um, you know, feelings of overwhelm, needing our help in order to calm down. And once my mindset started to shift um, and my paradigm started to shift, I just had a lot more empathy and compassion um, Mm. towards my children and was able to respond to them 
not with punishment, not with anger, but with a lot more patience. So if I can correct me if I'm wrong. So you actually parent your children without punishing them. Is that correct? I try to, (laughs) that's definitely (laughs) the goal. I mean, in the beginning, there were so many rules, you know, we had behavior charts, we had rewards and punishments that I I definitely spanked and um, sent them to the rooms, you know, every strategy known to man I tried. Um, But yeah, I think definitely now realizing that that doesn't actually help our children to understand um, the mistakes that they've made. It, it causes resentment and disconnection between parent and child. Um, and so we definitely try to remove all punishments and even um, arbitrary rewards, you know, mm-hmm. as, as tools to manipulate behavior. Um, because we, we realize it's not about managing behavior anymore. It's really about a heart connection. It's about relationship. And if we can focus on that, then a lot of the behavior things work themselves out. Wow. That's incredible. Um, I, I know that a lot of gentle parents, um, are kind of on the same page as far as wanting to parent without punishment and parenting free from punishment. But I feel like you really touched on an interesting thing as well, that I think a lot of parents haven't really thought about that not only are punishments harmful to a child, but also rewards can be harmful in a way. Um, And actually I was reading a book about this topic that was just blowing my mind. It's called punished by rewards. Have you, have you read that book before? Yeah. Alfie Cohn. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When I read that book, I was, it was mind blowing for me because I never thought that a reward could actually cause harm to our children. Um, Can you share a little bit about what you mean or when you say that or how you've seen in your experience that rewards can actually contribute to that harm for our children, not just punishment? Yeah, we think of these things as like, you know, positive reinforcements and that's better than negative reinforcements, right? (laughs) So it's it's like more positive parenting. But I think the goal of such things is still manipulation, is still control, So it's just control using, you know, positive reinforcement. And I think that's something that we need to question as parents. It's just like our goal should not be to control our child or to get them to do the things that please us, the things that are convenient for us, Mm. but to, um, yeah, to make room for their emotions, to understand the reasons for their behavior to connect with them, to problem solve with them, to set limits, obviously, yeah. when when it's needed, but not to try to manipulate. Um, because what happens is when we uh, place this carrot on a stick, I think that's how they describe it in, in the Alfie Cohn book too, is like the focus doesn't become, uh, the focus is on the reward rather than on the good behavior. And so we condition our kids to need a certain type of external reward, Mm -hmm. external motivation in order to do good things. Whereas what we really wanna do is to um, help nurture and cultivate their intrinsic motivation and their character from the inside, where even if there are no outside 
motivators, outside rewards, they in their heart and their spirit know what is right, know what's the right thing to do and are motivated to do it. And yeah. so um, that takes longer you know, we might not see the results as quickly because they aren't getting that marshmallow or that candy or, you know, but um, in the long run, it really empowers people to do what is uh, true and sincere and genuine from the heart and not just, you know, uh, doing it to please the parent for the reward, how they are perceived by other people. Yeah. And, and that, idea of extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation is so important. And that was actually one of the things that really sparked my interest in, in gentle parenting and learning how to parent without punishment or rewards um, for that very same reason, because you're right. You know, when we have a reward as a positive reinforcement, as you mentioned, it becomes about the reward, not about the behavior that we're doing to get the reward, you know? And, and so I really, it's, it's so I mean, it's a huge mindset shift to be able to think about, you know, I want my child to be kind, not because they're going to get a sticker or a lollipop for sharing or whatever reward I can give to them. And I also don't want them to be kind because they're afraid that I'm going to hit them if they don't, or that I'm going to, you know, hurt them in some way, emotionally yell at them if they don't. It's like, I want my child to be kind because they intrinsically want to be kind. They see the value for themselves in treating others with kindness and respect and the same kindness and respect that I'm showing to them. Um, it, it really yes. is a big mindset shift. Um, and yeah. And I think there are natural quote unquote punishments and rewards for those types of behaviors. We don't have to impose those on them because there are natural consequences to yeah. choosing being mean or to choosing being kind. And so we don't have to manufacture those consequences. We can allow our children to experience and see that for themselves mm -hmm. and to know like, oh, when you know I'm willing to share, that makes the other person really happy and that makes me feel good. And, yeah. oh, you know, maybe I will want to do that again so that it becomes a positive experience instead of um, oftentimes if we force our child to share through punishment or through threats or it's like, okay, you're done five minutes with, with that <laughs> toy, it's time to share. Then sharing becomes associated with negative emotions, mm -hmm. right? It's just like, oh, I didn't get enough of a turn or that toy was taken away from me. And mm -hmm. so sharing doesn't feel positive. It doesn't feel joyful. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not something that they are drawn to. And so whether or not it's punishment or rewards allow those natural consequences, um, the natural results of that to occur so that they can learn from that and really be intrinsically motivated like we talked about. Yeah. And I love that you talked about natural consequences too, because I think a lot of times when people hear, oh my gosh, you, you don't punish your kids or, you know, like they automatically assume that by not punishing them, that we're not disciplining them or we're not teaching them or that they're not experiencing some sort of repercussion for their choices. And that's simply not true. Um, and actually I was talking with a friend about this the other day, the fact that there are three different types of consequences. There are natural consequences, like you mentioned, which is that the natural result of whatever happens, right? So um, if you throw your toy on the ground and it breaks, that's the natural consequence. What happened? The toy broke. 
Um, then there are also logical consequences. And that would be like, okay, you broke your toys. So now we have to figure out how to, that's the, how do I fix this part, right? Like I, the toy is broken. That's the natural consequence. That's what happened. But now the logical consequence is, okay, how do I fix this? Um, do I, am I going to work to pay, buy for an, a new toy? Am I going to try to figure out how I can fix it myself? You know, um, and that's the logical part, right? Of how do we make that right? Um, but then there's the third part, the contrived consequence, which that would be the punishment that you were talking about. And, and I truly believe that if we can focus on the natural consequences and logical consequences, that will completely transform the way that our children are relating to the world and to the people that are in the world, because then they're not experiencing us as parents as trying to intentionally contrive and inflict harm on them, um, but rather they're experiencing the natural result of their choices. Um, and it, it really, that is, that is the foundation of building intrinsic motivation in our kids. Mm, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And also like the, the first two, um, consequences that you were talking about, we as a parent can also be there with them, yeah. empathizing with them, like participating in the problem solving with them so that we're on their side. Whereas with the contrived consequences, we are their enemy. We yeah. are against them. Yeah. We are the one inflicting pain on them, like you said. Yeah. And so that causes um, relational disconnect. Mm. And then we, be, we become the enemy. And so definitely like even with um, the other two consequences, we can still be their partner and be their guide and, and be a loving presence. Whereas the third one, we really can't. Or if, if we say we're doing this because we love you, that's a very twisted, manipulative way of, of telling them what love looks like. And so, yeah, I love how you broke that down. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and I know that your children, you know, weren't raised with that at the very beginning. I'm wondering what that transition was like for them. I mean, I know for you as a mom, it is, it's a shift for us as parents to go from this authoritarian kind of controlling, threatening sort of way to approach parenting to now kind of really flipping the script on them and saying, okay, instead of interacting with you in these kinds of ways, you know, instead of spanking you instead of punishing you instead of rewarding you instead of doing all of these other things now i'm going to switch and do this you know completely new way of interacting and relating to you as a human being how did your children handle that transition from authoritarian tiger parenting to the untigering parent that you are now you know i they 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 took to it like fish to the water i think because uh -huh. that's I believe that's how children want to be loved, you know? So when they start experiencing it, they just gobble it up, <laughs> you know? They're <laughs> like, oh, this is great, you know? But I think for me, I really tried to be honest with my kids about my process. Mm. So it wasn't suddenly that is like, whoa, what's happening, you know? Mm mom is doing this thing. Like uh, we actually communicated to them mm. like the changes that we were going to make because wow. the shift was really with me in my mindset first. Mm -hmm. So there was a point in time when we sat both of our kids down and said, we're not going to spank anymore. This, these are the things that we learned 
we're sorry that we did that. We know how harmful it was to you and we're not going to do that again. And so we communicated to them our shift and invited them to keep us accountable in some ways. So it wasn't just um, that they noticed a change, but we like said to them, we're not going to do this anymore. And we had like a spanking tool that we had used when they were younger and we threw it away. And it was sort of like the symbolic thing that we did with them. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't talk with them through every, every little change or step that we made, but there was definitely, um, communication and sort of like a line drawn in the sand of we're, we're trying something different. We're, not perfect and we're going to fail, but this is something new that we're doing. So I think in that way, they weren't, you know, caught off guard or confused as, as confused because we, we did communicate that with them. What a beautiful moment to be able to be able to share that with your, with your children, you know, to just share openly and honestly about your own journey and the things that you were learning and to have that conversation with them. Um, I know there are a lot of parents that have that I feel like they're kind of struggling with that, you know, like that they've parented in ways that were harmful before, or that they've done things that they know that they didn't want to do, whether that be spanking or even, you know, yelling or timeouts or, you know, any of those things. And then it's kind of like this weird, I did that before. I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm not quite sure how to like move forward from there, knowing that I've done all these things in the past that I, that I just, I feel so bad about, you know? Um, but what a powerful way to be able to just apologize and model that, you know, model that aspect of your learning with your kids that, you know, Hey kids, I'm, I'm not perfect either. And as I'm learning, as I'm growing as a mom and as a parent, I'm sorry for what I did before going forward. This is what I'm committing to. I'm committing to treat you with love and kindness and gentleness and respect and, Um, and even knowing that, you know, of course, growing forward, yes, there are times that we fail and that we mess up. Um, but I'm still coming back to that commitment to treat you with love and kindness and gentleness and respect. And I'm wondering, how do you handle those moments now that you've had that conversation with your kid? What do you do now when going forward, they know that you have this commitment. And of course we do, we, we, we fail, you know, as, as hard as I try, like I still find myself yelling sometimes at my kids as much as I don't want to. Um, how do you handle that when, when you have this conversation that you're committed to something different and it just our humanity and life, life happens and we mess up. How do we, how do you come back to that gentle parent? Mm, I, I think a big part of my journey was to untiger myself, you know, to reparent myself. And so, that meant really being gentle and compassionate to me, even as, you know, the, the parent in the relationship, but knowing that, um, you know, sort of bad dogging myself and shaming myself would not help me to become a better parent. It would not heal me. It would just shame me and I would spiral down and feel bad, but not feel empowered to change. And so um, I think a you know, a big part of my healing has been to receive grace, to, um, to understand that, yeah, I'm imperfect. And part of tiger parenting is this stance that 
the parent knows best. The parent is always right. The parent is in control and not ever admitting that you've made a mistake, that you're wrong, that, you you know, asking forgiveness. And so untigering really is accepting our own humanity as parents, as, as an individual, and um, for our inner child to heal that inner child that that thought that we always had to do everything 100% right in order to be loved or valued or worthy um, to resist that lie mm. so that we can love ourselves and accept ourselves and show ourselves compassion. And I have found that the more I do that, the more I am able to offer that to my children as well. That's powerful that the more we can show grace to ourselves, the easier it is to show grace to our children. What a, what a absolutely beautiful idea. And I truly feel like that, like that right there embodies the heart of untigering, as you mentioned of, you know, we're, we're raised in these systems where we are like a tiger, you know, like ready to attack, ready to just be, you know, on the prowl and, And yet, you know, as we're unlearning a lot of those things that we've experienced growing up, like we had the opportunity to extend the same grace that we want to give to our kids. We can extend it to ourselves too. I I feel like sometimes that's the hardest part, you know, like being able to give grace to yourself. Yeah. And then just to create that family culture of imperfection, you know, whereas Tiger Parenting is very much about perfection and everybody, you know, Stepford Wives or whatever, everybody doing what they're supposed to do. But um, untigering is like, life is messy, you know, and we're, we're messy, we're complicated. How can we um, love and accept ourselves in that messiness and not try to like force ourselves into these molds of perfection, but to be our messy selves and, and to in some ways celebrate that and allow ourselves to be fully human. I think that's um, been a big lesson for me, um, just not with, not just with mistakes, but with emotions, you know, um, which were not particularly welcomed in my home, uh, you know, labeling certain emotions as, as negative emotions, ones that we shouldn't be expressing. Um, but now at a place where, you know, I'm really trying to welcome all the emotions in myself and in my children and, and see that as part of our humanity, yeah. part of our, you know, wholeness as a full human being. Yeah, that is, that is challenging. Cause I think a lot of us are kind of trained that, that, you know, certain emotions are bad, right? Like um, anger in particular, anger and sadness are bad emotions that we should kind of avoid at all costs. And, um, and so when we see those emotions in our kids, it's like, we feel this pressure to almost suppress that in them. Like, okay, you're, you shouldn't be feeling angry. You shouldn't be feeling sad. Um, and I feel like almost by suppressing those emotions, it's like, we're, we're almost multiplying them in a sense, because we're not giving them the opportunity to, to express them and get them out. And it's just kind of building and building and building under the surface. Cause we don't give them an opportunity to have a healthy release of, of anger or sadness. Um, and, and that can definitely be challenging. How do you handle when your kids are experiencing these emotions that are typically labeled as bad? How do you handle anger and sadness when, you know, when your kids are, are feeling angry or sad or having a tantrum or whatever? 
I have to admit that I get really triggered. <laughs> I, I get like, if they are angry, I get angry at them being angry. <laughs> if they are frustrated, I'm frustrated at them being frustrated, you know? Yeah. So, um, I, I definitely feel like my own emotions are triggered because um, maybe I was never allowed to show those emotions. And so when I see other people showing them, it makes me very uncomfortable. So I think part of it for me is just being aware of that. Like when, when I feel that way to take a breath, to take a step back and like not react out of whatever I'm feeling, but Mm -hmm. notice it and ask myself, what is this, you know, where is this coming from? What is it pointing to? Um, and, you know, sometimes I need to maybe remove myself from the situation so that I'm not reacting. Um, and then other times I'm more emotionally available and I can like speak to them calmly and try to connect and ask, you know, what's going on. Um, but it's definitely the goal to hold space for whatever they're feeling, um, and, not to, you know, I would try not to shut it down, try not to invalidate and gaslight them and, you know, to explain it away. Mm. Um, with, uh, you know, I want to fix it. I want to explain why they shouldn't feel sad or like by the end of our conversation, have everything like tied up nicely in a bow. Yeah. But oftentimes what I've been able to do more recently is just to allow them to be sad, you know, not, not to explain it away if they're talking to me about a certain situation. And in my mind, I have all these reasons, you know, why like, Oh, well, if you just did this, then you wouldn't feel this way. Um, But then I just have to hold my tongue, you know, and um, validate them, comfort them. And usually what happens is when they, when they do have that, space to let their emotions out, then it's over, you know, it's over quickly and they can move on. But if we try to shut it down and say like, don't feel that way, or, you know, there's nothing to be sad about. um, I think that really invalidates them and, and um, causes resentment and then makes them hold onto that emotion um, even Mm. more firmly because because somebody told them that they shouldn't feel that way. (laughs) That's so true. I I always say resistance breeds persistence. And that is, I find that to be the case in so many different areas of my life. Like the things that I'm resisting, it's just, they just seem to persist and persist and persist. But when I can allow myself to fully experience whatever emotion I'm having, it's like, I give myself permission to feel it and then it can pass, you know? And I actually, I did this, this thing, my, one of my really close friends and I, we do this practice with one another that we give ourselves one minute um, and like one full minute. And I will literally, I will set the timer on my phone and I will be like, okay, I'm going to let myself feel as pissed off or mad as I'm going to be for one minute. And and she'll do it. She'll go, okay, I'm going to start the timer. Go ahead. Be angry. As angry as you need to be, you've got one minute. Get it all out, you know? 
And usually, I mean, I can last maybe like 20 seconds and then I'm like, why am I wasting a whole minute being angry? You know, like, and, (laughs) but giving myself that permission to let it out, it was just, it was such a powerful thing for me, you know, cause then I was able to like, I don't, I don't want to waste a minute of my time being angry. Like this is silly, you know? Um, and, and that was able to kind of give me that space that I needed to, to feel what I needed to feel, release those emotions, and then to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I've given myself that space. I'm ready to move forward now, you know, and problem solve or whatever else we do, you know? Um, but even, you know, being able to do that with our kids, like you, you mentioned, you said holding space. I mean, that's a, a, a beautiful way to phrase it. Like just being able to hold that space for them and know that, I can add my calm to their chaos and I will be the space where they can let it all loose and know that they're not going to be met with frustration or anger or whatever. They're going to be met with understanding and compassion and love um, and all those things. And they can get it all out. And I'm a safe space for them to do that. Um, That's beautiful. The way that you said that, I mean, just brilliant. I feel like so many parent child relationships would be so different if we could master that one, that one thing of being able to hold space for our kids' emotions, all of them, you know? Yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. And I love that you brought up how you were, you know, you, you and your friend were able to do that for one another, you know, sometimes, you know, it's that whole self-care piece where we need places to vent and to express <laughs> our emotions too, like hopefully not directed at our children, you know, but we, we need places where um, our big emotions can be held and, um, you know, made space for too. And so for us as parents, definitely to try to build that into our own practice, you know, it's not just about our relationship with our kids, but it's also our relationship with ourselves Mm. And how, how can we offer that to ourselves too? Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and I, I think it is really important too, especially as moms, I feel like a lot of times we want to have this image that we kind of can keep it all together, but we don't really share with other people our, our struggles or look for ways that we can kind of partner with other people around us, whether that be a spouse or a friend or even our own parents, um, that we can kind of share with them and invite them to come alongside of us in this journey and to help support us as we are moving forward. Um, and to be able to, you know, give us the break that we need to be able to have some self-care time or to be able to process our own thoughts and feelings with someone else. Um, and it, it is, it's a huge part of our journey, being able to, to build that gentle parenting community around us. Cause I, I don't know how I could do it if I didn't have other people that were in my life that understood my commitment to gentle parenting um, and, and were supporting me in that and reminding me like, this is, this is why we made the choices that we made, you know, to be able to parent our children in this manner and not resort to these kind of tactics that have caused so much harm to, to our relationship. Um, how do you cultivate relationships with other gentle parents in your area? Like, do, are, is your, is your spouse on board or your parents understanding now? Do you have a community of friends? Like, what does that gentle parenting community look like for you? Yeah. So thankfully my partner is also on board. And so I'm very grateful for that. Cause I know that that's not true for many families, Um, I started this journey when I was living overseas in China and so um, the online community was huge for me in terms of connecting with resources and other people who shared this idea because maybe not that many people around me at that time 
um, shared the same values, or if they did, I didn't, I didn't know. Um, So the online community um, was, was awesome. And I think especially because I was um, trying to blog about it, share resources. I was constantly consuming resources by other gentle parents, other peaceful parents. And so I was so um, like just really deep into it Mm -hmm. and so grateful for all that was available online. So for me, um, a big part of it was the online community, um, especially because I was living overseas at that time. Yeah. And you actually, you, you have your own kind of gentle parenting community that you started, correct? Yes. Yes. Share with us a, a Facebook little bit more community. about that. Yeah. It's called Untigering Parents. It's just a Facebook uh, group. And I think, especially for me as an Asian American, I really wanted to um, just address some of the cultural barriers hmm. to um, gentle parenting, as well as the cultural blessings of being um, Asian American from a collective culture where family is really important, um, a lot of intergenerational um, and interdependent relationships, which can be good and can be bad. So um, really wanted a space to talk about some of those things. And so started the Untigering Parents Group. And it's not exclusively for those of an Asian background, but um, I did want to center that because there aren't very many places where we can um, talk about those things. So there is that. That's wonderful. And I will make sure that I include a link to that Facebook group in the show notes. So whether you are Asian or not, you're welcome uh, <laughs> to join the Untigering community and be a part of that. Uh, but I, I do really appreciate that you are taking a look at that also from that cultural lens that you mentioned that, that there are, there are positive aspects that the Asian culture brings to the gentle parenting community. Um, and there are also some other aspects that are, are, I guess, stereotypical in the Asian community. Um, I, I know that a lot of people kind of stereotype that Asians have a very firm commitment to respecting authority and things like that. Um, how, how does that look like? How do you have those conversations with other Asian Americans that are concerned that by not parent, you know, by not punishing your children or whatever, um, or letting your children express these negative emotions that they're not respecting your authority as their parent? What would you say to someone that might have that, that perspective or that view? I would say like from my own experience growing up in an Asian household where respect was demanded and um, it was very authoritarian that I did not end up respecting my elders because, well, behavior wise, I was very respectful, but in my heart, there was resentment, there was anger. It's just like, okay, I would never talk back to my dad, but did I really respect him when I saw how he treated me, you know? So, so I think it's just like, if we want to foster true respect, we have to, we have to earn it. Honestly, it cannot just be demanded because Mm. um, I think if we asked like my generation of um, you know, second generation immigrant children, if we grew up in very harsh, punitive, strict households, did we really respect 
our parents, mm. you know, like maybe we, we did what we were supposed to do. We were obedient, good children, but um, in our hearts, I, I know I, I, for one did not grow mm. up respecting my parents in, in my heart. Wow. And so um, I think that's something like, if I want my children to truly respect me, I have to have that type of loving connection and relationship with them. Um, And it can't be out of fear. Mm. It can't be out of the fear of punishment (laughs) that they respect me. Um, That's not the type of respect that I want. And so just recognizing that within a lot of our cultures, whether it's Asian culture or otherwise, things that we um, associate as part of cultural values or our traditions, is really rooted in trauma. Mm. That's something that I have been learning. And so like this very authoritarian need for control, how much of that is rooted in the trauma of like Chinese history and all the, you know, um, imperialism and Mm. classism and all these different ways that people oppressed each other in that culture. And the only way to survive was through these very hierarchical controlling relationships. And I, you know, just recognizing that means that I don't have to um, buy into that just because I'm Chinese, you know, that I can um, just be aware of the the trauma that is a part of my history and to um, heal from that and to, redefine and reshape culture for the next generation. Mm. Wow. That is, I think that's a really powerful distinction that you made about kind of that outward obedience versus inward obedience, outward respect versus inward respect. And you're absolutely right. I remember someone shared a story about, um, you know, this, this kid that was sent to timeout and they were like, go, go sit in the corner, you know, and he's sitting there in the corner and he's just like, I'm standing on the inside, you know? Um, and it, it's, it's so true. Like, you know, we, we might be able to force our kids to sit in the corner and make them sit down, but if they're standing on the inside, I mean, that, that battle's not won, you know, like that's not winning any battles. And, and at the end of the day, like we're on the same team with our kids. It's not this me versus you battle of like, obey me and not obey me. You know, it's like, no, we're on the same side. I am on your side and we are working together to address whatever problems come our way, but you are not the problem. And, and we're, you're absolutely right. We are not going to be able to have respect from our children through force and coercion, threats, manipulation, violence, all of those things that that will never produce genuine, sincere love and respect for us as parents if we continue to relate to our kids in that way. And I, I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing too, just the way that you thought about the generational impact of that, you know, of, of looking back throughout history and seeing how this isn't just a family thing. This really is like a society thing where society has taught us that we must respect authority and do whatever they say, no matter what, and have this kind of really harmful, damaging view of authority and what obedience to authority is or should be or what it should look like. And so, the, I mean, the work that you're doing is truly transforming generations to come, you know, like your children are, and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren 
are going to be reaping the benefits of the work that you're doing today. I mean, that's powerful. Thank you so much for making that effort to heal the trauma in yourself so that you can kind of break that trend for the generations to come after you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think it is, you know, it really started out as a personal journey and just the ripple effects of that as we, you know, heal our wounds and heal it for the next generation and on and on to the generations after us. So I'm like, so inspired by, by you and all the listeners too, who are doing this work, because it is, it is so powerful and transformational, not just for our families, but for societies and generations to come. Truly. And one of the other things too, that, um, you know, I think, I feel like our stories kind of started very similarly. Like you started your book kind of as a blog of your own journey, you know, like documenting your own journey. And that was how I started too. Like I was not intending to write a book either. I was just, you know, I actually, I stumbled into gentle parenting because I was researching what the Bible says about spanking. (laughs) And when, as what I was learning about what the Bible says about spanking, I was like, wait a second, this is this, the Bible doesn't say that about spanking, you know? And so as I was reading and learning myself, I just started blogging about what I was learning. And then that blog turned into a book, you know, very similar to you. And then over the years, I feel like my my gentle parenting journey and those principles of love and kindness and respect, they've been, you know, evolving over the years. And now my daughter is seven and I've been exploring what does that, those principles of gentle parenting and peaceful parenting, what does that look like when I approach my child's education now that she's school age, you know? Um, And so that was when I kind of stumbled into unschooling. Um, And I know that you and your family, you guys are also unschoolers as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we are. I would love to hear more. Unschooling is like, I feel like that's like the so foreign. And I mean, there are so many people who have never heard of unschooling before. It is truly a revolutionary concept. And as a teacher, it is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, Letting the world know that unschooling is there and it is an option. I prefer to call it peaceful world schooling, hence the name of my podcast, um, because I think unschooling kind of that term, I feel like puts people off a little bit when they're like, what do you mean unschooling? That just sounds so, I don't know, like what we're not standing for, but I felt like peaceful world schooling really communicates what we are standing for. Um, But can you share with us a little bit more about how your gentle parenting journey informed your decision to pursue unschooling um, when it comes to your children's education? I would love to hear about how you found your way there. Yeah, I definitely feel that um, being a peaceful parent really laid the groundwork for that decision for us yeah. to be in schoolers. And um, it's really just, you know, because peaceful parenting is about honoring our children as whole human beings, mm-hmm. you know, who have, who deserve respect and dignity and who are their own individual people who have agency and autonomy and who we are not trying to um, relate to in a power over paradigm. Mm-hmm. And so how, where we want to share power with our children and uh, really empower them, right? Yeah. And so I think with unschooling, um, I define unschooling as living, learning, and loving outside the construct of compulsory schooling. So um, for me, I think just reflecting more on um, compulsory schooling 
it doesn't see our children as whole people. It doesn't respect their autonomy. They have no, um, you know, their consent <laughs> is ignored. Uh, their individuality, their own goals. Like it's a very oppressive environment for children, I feel. Yeah. And at that time, when we decided to unschool, we were living in China at the time. And um, it, honestly, it was like we were running out of options as foreigners living in China. We couldn't send them to the local school and we didn't want to send them to the international school. And so I was considering homeschooling, but how could I homeschool in a way that wasn't power over, you know, wasn't me giving them a bunch of curriculum and a bunch of worksheets telling them you have to complete this. Um, We're going to do an hour of this and then an hour of that. And where it was very top down and controlling. And I knew because um, I am a recovering tiger parent (laughs) that (laughs) I would default to being very controlling. So um, went on, on the internet and discovered unschooling, heard about it from other unschoolers and gentle parents um, and really just resonated with it, you know, trusting our children to be natural learners, Mm. that they are intrinsically motivated, that they are curious. And what happens is the, the schooling environment often conditions that out of our children because they are forced to learn and do things that they don't want to learn. So they lose that passion, that joy of learning. Um, So, yeah, I think that's, that's what brought me to unschooling. And that was about four years ago. um, And we've been unschooling ever since. Wow. That's awesome. When you first started unschooling, did you have any like concerns or fears or worries? I mean, I know for me personally, I'm a public school teacher or was a public school teacher. Um, So as a teacher, I was really terrified that my daughter would never learn how to read, that she would never know how to do math. Um, I was really, really worried about those things. Um, and um, of course I can you know, share more about how those are not really concerns for me anymore. But at the beginning, I was really worried about those things. And I'm wondering if you had any um, fears or concerns when you started unschooling. Yes, for sure. And, uh, you know, I still do sometimes. I think, <laughs> you know, that's just part of what we call the de-schooling process where we, most of us grew up with a very schoolish mindset or in that paradigm of school. And yeah. so to not have school is very, it's just like jumping off a cliff, it feels <laughs> like, you know, with no yeah. safety net. Um, so there, there are definitely fears and anxieties. And, but I think for me, it all came back to just the, my why and the, the, the principles of unschooling. And um, I think when I just came back to that, I was just reminded, you know, why are we doing this? Um, and honestly, when we, when we first started, I just treated it like an experiment, like, um, I was going to give it a year. <laughs> and at that time, my kids were maybe nine and seven around that age. And so it still felt not super risky. Like if they spent a year um, playing, <laughs> they wouldn't miss that much. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, you know, not, it doesn't have to be um 
you know, jumping in the deep end or a lifetime commitment, you know, if people aren't ready for that, it's just like taking the next step that feels right for you and, and then seeing where that takes you. That's beautiful. I I definitely had a similar experience too when I first started, my daughter was five and so it was, it was kindergarten. And I remember thinking, you know, okay, how bad can I mess up? It's just kindergarten, right? Like they're learning the letters and colors and shapes, like she'll be okay, you know? Um, and so I, I did the same thing. I was like, you know, I'm going to try it for a year. And if I totally hate it, the beautiful thing is I can always change, you know, like we're not stuck in any one way, you know? So if, if, if you're interested or you're curious about unschooling and you're thinking that this sounds interesting, I'm not sure how that works. I don't know if I will like it or hate it. Um, give it a try, you know, just like Iris said, giving, giving yourself one year to give it a try, see it like really just go all in. Um, and I, I encourage you to just make that jump and give yourself permission to pursue, um, educational freedom with your children and focus on applying those gentle parenting principles to your child's education and see what happens. Um, I think that you will find that you will be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> uh, we're, we're two years into this journey now, and I can tell you unschooling, choosing to unschool with my kids has been the best decision I think that we have ever made, not just for them, but for me as well. And for our family as a collective whole, it's just, it's been an amazing journey. Um, and I'm wondering, are you, are you happy with your unschooling journey or are there things that you wish that you could ever would have done differently? Schooling is just so personal. And so I tried not to look at it with any regret because, you know, I think we, I had to go through different seasons or whatever in order to get to where I am, but I'm definitely like the more I practice it, the more I'm so grateful for it and, um, and I'm excited to share with other people about it. So we're in a season now where my um, kids go part-time to a self-directed learning center. Awesome. So um, yeah, they just wanted more social interaction, more group learning environment. And so we found that for them, but it's still very um, self-directed yeah. and consent-based. Um, so yeah, that's um, been a new season that we're in, but we're really enjoying that as well. That's awesome. Um, my, my daughter also goes to a self-directed learning center that's close by us too. And um, that's only open three days a week. And so I actually, I started my own self-directed learning center um, that we operate full-time five days a week for single parents that are like me that need to work, but want their kids to be able to homeschool or unschool. Um, and they just can't be there for them during the day. Um, so that's really awesome that your kids had that opportunity. And if you feel comfortable sharing, I would love to share, you know, the name of that facility. Um, so that if there's someone else that's in your area, I, I'm sorry, where do you, where, where, where are you existing in the world today? <laughs> Los Angeles area. Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, great. So if any of my listeners are in the LA area, um, I'll ask Iris if she's comfortable sharing that her self-directed learning center with us. Um, so you can go and check that out. And I'm wondering what does that, what does a self-directed learning center look like for your kids? What is that like? Really different depending on, um, yeah, who is leading it. This one is called Alcove Learning Center. Um, A-L-C-O-V-E, and they're with the Liberated Learners Network. Um, so 
they have like different offerings that they make available throughout the day. Um, they pull the students at the beginning of the semester and ask what are the things that you're interested in? And then based on that, they go out into the community or they themselves, the facilitators will um, find resources for that. So mm -hmm. if um, the members are interested in graphic design, they will go and um, you know find resources for that or um, D and D like Dungeons and Dragons or music production or different sci-fi things, you know, so it's really based on that, what the makeup of the group is and what their interests are. And then it's, um, just offered in a very non-coercive way. So none of the members are required to take the class um, they can participate as, as much or as little as they like. So yeah, there's um, many aspects of it that, you know, are very aligned with unschooling and consent-based yeah. learning. That's wonderful. And you said members, I'm wondering, is that a, a private membership association? The, the term that the the kids chose for themselves because they didn't want to be called kids. <laughs> oh. So they 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 called themselves members, but it is um, a paid uh, learning center. So that's yeah. awesome. And I, I love the fact that they're able to pursue the things that they love right now. And I think that's one of the things that caught my attention the most about unschooling is, um, you know, as a teacher in the school system, it's like, we have these kids go from kindergarten through 12th grade, and now they're 18 years old. And now at 18, we're like, okay, what do you want to do with your life? And they're like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, because someone else has told me what to do with my life for the last you know, 13 years, you know. Um, and so that's really awesome that, you know, your kids are having the opportunity right now at 11 and 13 years old to pursue their passions and pursue their interests. Um, what are they interested in, in nowadays? What are they up to? They, um, they love drawing. So they do a lot of dig digital art on Procreate. Oh, yeah. Um, they love Minecraft and gaming, <laughs> um, which, yeah, so they play a lot with their friends. Um, they do coding there. Um, one of them is into animation. So does Minecraft animations or other things. Um, they got into uh, music production because that was a class that was offered at the Self-Directed Learning Center. Oh, and wow. so he, he wasn't really into it before, but because that was offered, he took it and got really into it. And so loves mixing music now, um, <laughs> really into MCU. <laughs> so they read books and uh, watch all the movies. They love um, Rick Rorden, um, the Percy Jackson series. They love reading. Um, yeah, so a lot of a lot of different things. So I think a lot of it just looks like play, you know, which yeah. I think can make us uncomfortable because we feel like education should look more like work. <laughs> but um, it should be more painful. You know, yeah, it should it should not be fun. <laughs> it should be hard work. You shouldn't like to do it. 
But I think that's just so sad that we associate learning with those words, you know, when, especially for children, play is the work of learning. And um, that's how they are learning more about their world, um, figuring out skills that they need. So I've had to you know, sit with my discomfort sometimes when um, they might not be learning the things that other school kids are learning at their age. Mm -hmm. Um, But just again, going back to the values of um, empowering them and giving them like the, or just knowing that they have the ability to learn, Mm. you know, um, instead of the content, focusing on the content. Yeah if they know how to learn then um, and are motivated to learn, then they're set up because, you know, how much of what we learned in school do we actually use? And do we actually remember now that, (laughs) yes, very little, very little of it is relevant. So um, instead of focusing so much on the content, like how can we empower our children with the skills to Mm. get the information they need to be motivated to learn so that like when they are grown and need to, uh, the world will be completely different in 10 years time than it will be right now. And so how can we empower them to continue to grow and and change with the world? Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Um, And you're absolutely right. I mean, so much of what we learn in school is not useful, but I love that you focused on learning that, that prioritizing the skills over the content, um, because you're right. If our children can have the skills that they need to learn what they want to learn when they, you know, how they want to learn it, they're going to be equipped for life. Um, a child that loves learning is going to be successful in anything that they do, because they're going to have the resources and that intrinsic motivation that we talked about before to learn what they need to learn, to get to wherever they want to go in life. But, um, I, I definitely saw the, the flip side of that, you know, when kids are in a schooling environment, a forced schooling environment, um, when they're forced and controlled by someone else to learn, it's like they lose that motivation to learn because again, it goes back to that rewards and punishment thing. If they're only learning the material so they can get an A, that's that, that the A is the carrot on the stick, you know, just like in gentle parenting, the A is the carrot on the stick. That's, that's the bribe. That's the reward that we're trying to entice them with rather than the knowledge that they're getting in order to earn that A, you know? And so seeing those, those gentle parenting principles, like you mentioned, seeing those in the context of our child's education we have to start thinking about that. We have to start thinking and really analyzing why are we doing the things that we're doing as we're relating to our children as their parent. And then also as we're approaching our children's experience of education and learning. Um, And I know just like with gentle parenting, being in these unschooling groups has been so helpful for me too. I I remember I joined a a radical unschooling group. I'm sure you're probably familiar with radical unschooling as well. I joined a radical unschooling group just, you know, again, cause I was like, I'm going to just dive all in where if we're going to do unschooling, we're going to do radical unschooling. And, um, and for those of you who may not be familiar with radical unschooling, so unschooling is specifically about a child's education, whereas radical unschooling, again, takes those principles of unschooling and applies them to all of life. Um, So what that looks like is that parents are not forcing or coercing their children when it comes to things like food or bedtimes or how they spend their time with 
games or screens or things like that. Um, so that can look in a lot of different ways. But one of the, the games that I saw them play in this radical unschooling group was they play a what are they learning game. Um, and that was something that was really, <laughs> I don't know if you ever play that with your kids, but I try to do that every day when, where I look at what they're doing and I try to ask myself, what are they learning in whatever it is that they're doing? Um, and for me, that was a really powerful shift. Instead of looking at what can I teach my child, um, but to look at what is my child doing, what are they engaged in right now, and then look for the learning that they're already doing in whatever that activity may be. Like you mentioned, Minecraft or Procreate or mixing music or all these things, like they're valuable things that your kids are learning as they're gathering all these skills and exploring these different interests and passions that they have. Um, but it, it is, I, I can relate to you in that, in that sense of, of sometimes looking at their play and I almost judging their play, you know, of like, oh gosh, that doesn't look like the kind of learning that I, that I would expect for it to be. Um, but I think when I, when I, as a parent can start to play that, what are they learning game and look, okay, my daughter's been playing with Legos for how long, what is she learning as she's playing Legos, you know, or my child's been on Minecraft for an hour. What are they learning in this Minecraft game that I still don't fully understand myself, but, you know, jumping into their world and really being a part of joining them in their passions and saying, okay, what, are, what is my child getting out of, out of this and valuing whatever it is that they're getting out of it and not judging them if it's maybe. Maybe they're just getting friends, you know, like having a friend to, to play a game with that they enjoy. Like that is, that's just as valuable as them learning any math fact or any, you know, anything like that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to think of learning outside those schoolish boxes and subjects, yeah. Yeah. you know, where it's all like intellectual or very, you know, <laughs> academic but, yeah. but all of life, seeing all of life as learning and all of it is valuable. So if it's social emotional skills, if it's time management, if it's learning more about their emotions or learning more about how to, you know, attune to their bodies, like all of that is valuable. And if we can, if we can see the value in that, then I think we can um, calm a lot of our own anxieties. Yeah. And if there's anyone listening today that is considering exploring either gentle parenting or unschooling, what would be one piece of advice that you would want to say to someone who's thinking about making some of these changes in their life and exploring these alternative views like gentle parenting and unschooling? What, would, what advice would you give? I would ask them to remember what it was like to be a child. So remember their inner child and remember what it felt like to be punished or to be forced to sit all day listening to um, a lecture on something you didn't care about yeah. or being told you couldn't use the bathroom when you wanted to, or it's, it's just, just remembering how disempowering um, it was to be a child and all the things that, at least for me now as a, an adult, I've had, I've had to unlearn and relearn. Mm. Um, and so if we can sort of expose some of the oppressive ways that we normalize treating children, yeah. um, then we can question them and resist them and 
really push back and find, try to find respectful, more peaceful, empowering ways to treat children. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much um, for sharing a little bit of your family, your heart, your journey with us and with the rest of the world. Um, if someone has been listening and they're like, man, ours is amazing. I want to get connected with the work that she's doing. How can someone connect with you, Iris? Yeah. So you can find me on my blog, untigering.com. And I'm also on social media on Instagram and Facebook at untigering. I also have like a group membership where we, um, gather together online twice a month and just connect and talk through issues of parenting and unschooling. So if you want to connect with me more personally, you can go to my group membership that's also on my website. Yes. And I will have the link to all of those things in the show notes, um, in the description. So if you are interested in, um, in following Iris, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, on her website, or being a part of her membership, I highly encourage you to take a look at that. I was actually looking at your membership this morning and I was like, this sounds amazing, amazing, amazing. And so please make sure that you check out her membership program and, um, and join her in the work that she's doing. Um, Iris, I, I know that we haven't met before today, but you have been such an inspiration to me on my own personal gentle parenting and unschooling journey. And like, I see your posts and I'm just like, yes, like you were just constantly bringing me back to my why, you know, the why that we talked about. And, um, and so your, your posts are such a source of encouragement for me, um, and I know if I'm having like a rough or an off day or whatever, I can just go to untigering and I can read, you know, some of the things that you share and it just, it just brings me back. Um, so thank you so very much for the work that you do on behalf of gentle parents and unschoolers around the world. Um, and especially in, in, in particular in the Asian community. So I'm really excited to, to continue to partner with you in this effort of sharing gentle parenting and unschooling with the world. So, um, Thank you so very much. And um, to those of you who are listening to the episode today, I hope that this episode was as much of a blessing for you as it has been for me. Uh, remember that there are new episodes of the Peaceful World Schooling podcast that are released every Tuesday. So make sure that you subscribe so you will not miss out on a single one. Um, and if you would like to support me in my work, please share this episode with your friends and family so that they can hear about the wonder and the magic that is gentle parenting and unschooling. Um, and then also you can um, consider donating in the links in the description or on my website, www.peacefulworldschoolers.com. I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are, and I will see you next Tuesday. Join us next Tuesday on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Harders. And if you enjoyed today's episode, click subscribe and be sure to hit the bell so you will not miss out on a single episode.